The following presentation is brought to you by The Mutual Network. Better living through audio. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. It is the year 2017, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theatre are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives each week to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring in the triumph, the majesty, sublimity of rude alchemy. Greetings, dear listeners. I'm here with my good friend and student intern, Maddie. Yay! Oh, it's great to see you again, Em. Just really, really great. Yeah. So, um, you just couldn't stay away, huh? (laughs) Gosh, it's almost like you're developing a little crush on me. (laughs) What? Narrator! What? I'm kidding. She knows I'm kidding. Unless she doesn't. Do you or do you not know that I'm kidding, Em? Which is it? What? Oh, Oh God. Sometimes I, I wish stupidity didn't do it for me. What? Oh, Lord. So stupid. Mm. You do know people are listening to this, right? You know, I I think they know what they're getting into at this point. Well, if not, this should pretty much do it. We're on the same page here, buddy. (laughs) 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 Mm. What are you talking about? Oh, fuck, you're stupid. Oh, this is nothing. You should see her try to read a paper book. Oh, huh? Uh, oh, what are you trying to do to me, man? Her mother pays a fortune for tutors. Oh, it's because I have dyslexia. Okay, okay, we're done here. We, we, we really have to move on. Oh, yeah? Is your conscience finally starting to get to you? <laughs> I assure you, announcer, that is the exact opposite of what is happening right now. So before this goes any further, let's dive into the next episode of The Buffoon. The Buffoon is brought to you by Rabbi Feldman's Kosher Ham. When you just absolutely positively have to eat ham, trust Rabbi Feldman, the only rabbi skilled enough to trick the great I am into thinking that fatty, filthy hunk of unclean swine between two pieces of rye is really just a nice piece of brisket.
When last we left our impossibly wronged hero, Henri of Egwisham, he had taken up with a band of misshapen miscreants, intent on using their annual satirical performance on Buffon Day to reap horrible revenge upon Henri's brother, the Duke. Also, he made a priest laugh himself to death. Remember that? Uh, sorry for the relatively patronizing recap here. It's been like a month since the last episode, and I don't know how they expect you to remember any of this shit. Anyway, Henri, he's the good guy. The Duke, he's the bad guy. Let's see what the ugly old Duke is up to presently. Ha ha ha, Emily, you have got to be kidding me. Le Duke, mon cher, a minute. You must cancel this year's buffoon day performance. Emily, mes petits bouche de renard, I will do no such thing. But ma dream, mon cher. Dream, sous marteau, dream. When you dream about falling out of our bed into a bottomless hole, we get you a bigger bed. When you dream about our bedchamber collapsing in on itself and swallowing you whole, we get you a bigger bedchamber and an entirely separate wing of the castle. When you dream about the old gardener being unable to pull you out of the rose bushes thorns, we get you a younger gardener with big Bigger muscles, who never wears those long linen shirts everybody loves to wear, within whose eyes one can feel both entirely secure and also slightly in danger, like his eyes, they're unpredictable. And what color are they? Can you say? Some days they look green and some, some days, days they, they look, look blue. blue. I know, crazy, right? Some days they look blue. What's his name again? Brexman? Freak studsman! Lovely eyes! I agree. But my buffoon day dream is unlike any of these other dreams. I dreamt the buffoons, the clowns, they began their performance under a sky, the color of flame. A single drum pulsed as they gambled and danced. Soon the villagers began swaying with the rhythm of the drum. Entire crowd thrummed and tranced as the drum grew louder and faster, louder and faster, louder and faster until suddenly... Emily, mon délicieux fond de hibou, hear me! All year long the villagers are restrained. They want to cultivate larger tracts of land? No, that's my land. You cannot cultivate my land. They want to store larger stocks of foodstuffs? No, that's my foodstuffs. I want to eat these foodstuffs. They want to accumulate monetary reserves to establish a positive balance of trade in hopes of eventually forming a separate class of people. No, this is my monetary reserves. I don't even know what half that shit means. As you can see, the people need an opportunity for release. And Bufonde is that release. But what if the release leads to our death? Emily, mon precieux pouce de blaireau, the people love you. I, however, am the object of their scorn. I am foolish, they say. I am ugly, they say. But whatever it is I am, they must be allowed to say it one day a year or else. But the drums beating louder and faster, louder and faster until... Do not fear, ma tortue glissant. I have a solution. Oh, you will cancel it then? No. Buffonde will proceed. But we shall outlaw any drums. Okay? Okay. Now I must speak with my trusted advisor. With a flourish, the Duke kissed his wife's cheek and stepped to an alcove, where a man in a hooded tabard stood waiting. Monsieur Talon, 
this way. Oui, mon duke. Meanwhile, in the forest, Le Duc's significantly handsomer, funnier, and cleverer brother Henri, newly declared leader of the malformed Buffons, fraternized with his troopmates. He began with the hunchback, young Jean. So, young Jean, why do they call you young Jean? Ah, uh, you know, no one's ever asked me that. I had to think. Um, uh... Is it because your name is Jean and you are young? Oh, yeah, pretty much. Nice. So, um, I, I'm, uh, I'm, t- I'm trying to think of something else to ask you. Um, oh, yeah. How did you get that disgusting, painful-looking hump on your back? My hump? Oh, well, it's a funny story, actually. Really? The story of how you acquired a horrible, life-altering disfigurement is funny? No. See, this is exactly what I wanted to talk to you guys about. We're supposed to be the epitome of funny here. As Buffons, we're only afforded a single public performance to demonstrate our clowning. So we've got to make it count, right? Right. So let's start again. Okay, I'm called Young Jean because my name is Jean No, 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 uh... your malformation. Henri laid his hand tenderly upon the mound protruding from Young Jean's shoulder. The hunchback winced at the man's touch and smiled pathetically. In truth, it is not a story I like to revisit. Then why did you say it was funny? Because because we are expected always to be funny, always to be ready with a joke or a jibe. A joke for whom? For them, maybe. The others, the villagers, the ones who cast us out. But for one another, we must be true. We must embrace our blemishes, savor our suffering, turn our tarnish to a bright patina. I'm not sure I know what the last part means, but but how? All laughter stems from pain. We must be masters of our own torment. Unburden yourself, young Jean. I am your fellow Buffon. Your secrets I will protect. Your grotesqueness I will uphold. It brings me deep shame. All the more reason to let it go. Trust me. I was raised in a village to the east of here, high in the mountains. My mother, myself, and my baby sister, Adeline. There was a bridge outside our village that I used to visit. My mother told me, Young Jean, do not tempt fate. Do not play where God cannot save you. Of course, you can guess that one day, as I played upon the bridge, a great wind came and set me off balance. I fell many dozens of feet and broke my poor back in the shallow water. But the joke was on God, for I was saved after all. A fisherman found me on the rocks and brought me home. But from that day... My mother spurned me. She shrieked about how she had worn me. She cursed me for burdening her with such foolishness. And as I healed and my back grew crooked, she cast me to the goat shed. Through the window each night I watched her bounce baby Adeline while I shivered in the dark, smelling of dust and dung. While Adeline grew fat and pink, I learned how to once again use my hands, my arms, how to wiggle my toes and hobble briefly, leaning on an old milking stool. My mother no longer acknowledged my existence, but nevertheless I would practice crawling around in the goat shed from wall to wall until one day I could pace from one wall to the next sixteen times over without faltering. I opened the latch, entered the house, gathered up little Adeline, and took her to the bridge that had been my unmaking. Of course, you can guess what happened next. You dropped her. I threw her as hard as I could, as far as I could, I never heard the splash, and by the time the hangman came, I was halfway across the night, hobbling toward exile. If pain 
is a well. My friend, yours knows no bottom. Draw from it as we continue our work. Send down bucket after bucket. I'll drink by your side. Henri continued his collusion with the Buffons. The twins Florian and Dorian, with their scar-addled arms, offered similar tales of grisly malfeasance. We burn them! Burn them down! Who? All of them! Poor Pierre, with the tremendous hairy right hand, confessed to perhaps the worst crime of all. And so when my mom closed her bedroom door at night, I would stimulate myself sexually until achieving climax. Sometimes by using images of women in a state of undress, but just as often using magic of my own imagination to simulate my desires. <sighs> One night she <clears throat> she came out of the bedroom after I thought she'd been asleep for hours, and um, well, now I'm here. <laughs> uh, also, you can you can probably guess that my name isn't actually Pierre. It isn't. I've already said too much. With troop spirits soaring, despite the deeply depressing nature of Henri's interviews, the Buffons began a new exercise. Improvisational insults. Improvis what? We insult each other. But why? Yeah, why? The twins, you observe, are burning to begin. Uh, <laughs> uh, because their arms were badly burned. Okay. Yep. I get it. Allow me to demonstrate. Florian and Dorian are often pursued by fat women. We are. Uh, no, we aren't. Hush, it's part of the game. What's wrong with porking a big girl? This is no insult. However, it is not the boys' little sausages the sweaty maids are after. It's not. Uh, my sausage is tremendous. Unfortunately, the fatties have mistaken the boys' arms for roasted geese. <laughs> Once you go burnt, you never wait your turn. <laughs> yeah, flip them, please. I believe they're done. Ah, <laughs> uh, that was very funny. But now I want to eat your arm. Say, Pierre, how do you get a hand that big and hairy? Was your grandpapa a werewolf? <laughs> no, no, I know. He was Italian, wasn't he? <laughs> who told you that? No, who told you that? It's wonderful because Italians are always so hairy. Young Jean, I bet I could see all the way to Italy if only I had the fortitude to scale your back. <laughs> <laughs> like it when he makes fun of other people. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. The hunchback is an easy target. But what of you, Monsieur Henri de Aiguichon? As a handsome fellow, you are the odd one amongst us. You have no scars, no crooked limbs, yet here you are, in exile like the rest. So where lies your deformity? <laughs> you had everything a man could want, but you could not stop your brother from taking it away from you. Aha! I have it. You must have a malady of the mind. Carlos crippled, contorted, ugly, and overdone, but we would rather be thus than as you. 
for we are here for our freakishness. But you are here for your ineptitude. You, Henri, are a buffoon. Damn, that was a good part, y'all. Well done. That's it. Oh, burn. Oh, man. You know, this reminds me of your mama's so fat jokes. Hey, Mads. <clears throat> Mads. Yeah, do you still do your mama so fat jokes? We texted this one girl saying she looked like Rufus the Naked Mole Rat from Kim Possible and she killed herself. Man, that is so depressing. Yeah, my mom took my phone for like three days. No, no, no. I mean, I'm so out of touch with pop culture. I have no idea what the hell you're referencing. Naked Mole Rat? It's the show from when we were kids. What year were you born? 2001. Oh, shit. I think we can move on to rehearsing the performance proper now. Le Duc, as we all know, is notoriously ugly. How ugly is he? He is so ugly, the only bouffant capable of portraying him is you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that didn't go how I thought it would. Florian, Dorian, and Pierre, you will portray a pack of maidens chasing Le Duc away for his horrid appearance. Now who likes fat chicks? Us, apparently. All right, we're, we're, the fat, we're the fat chicks. I'm not ashamed of anything. I never said fat, but uh, why not? Here, stuff your doublets with some dry leaves for padding. It'll give old Crippy Jean here a good head start. Hey. Go ahead, Crippy Jean. You are Le Duc now. Run. Run! Young Jean, embracing the rehearsal fully, hobbled off, overemphasizing his already crooked gait to make a wonderfully silly trot. <laughs> oh no, here comes the maidens again, spiteful that I am so handsome. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a pretty good. Shut it, we're supposed to chase him. How did I get so handsome, you ask? Well, let me tell you. Less talking, more running. Oui, mon patron. He's getting away. That's it, Pierre. Get him. Get him. Pierre, with a strong right hand, gained quickly on the hobbling hunchback. Oh, la vache. Now what? Climb that tree, Le Duc. You will do anything to survive, no matter how cowardly. Young Jean eyed the tree Henri had indicated, a towering oak with low-hanging branches. The hunchback clutched a bough and began climbing. More people want to see my handsome face? Very well. I shall climb high for the world to see. Less talking, more climbing. I'm gonna get you. As young Jean climbed steadily up the massive tree, thick-handed Pierre was only a few branches behind. Wait for us. We're too fast. The twins Florian and Dorian paused at the tree's roots, sucking air to catch their breath. Pierre chased young Jean higher and higher until the hunchback had reached the top. There, witness the beauty of my dukedom. Young Jean stuck his head through the canopy and felt the world reel. At the great tree's apex, the forest below was just a wash of blue-green. The boughs' tops blew rhythmically, like a great green river. He looked again. Was that running water so far below? No, no, it was a trick of the mind. Just the height and and the breeze. Straining dizzily, he fought against his bloody brain, his sweaty palms, his yawning gullet. He closed his eyes, bit his lip, and held tight. Perfect! Now come down, Pierre. I got you, young Jean. You thought you could escape, but I got you. Oh, la vache. Henry, uh, something's wrong with young Jean. 
Whatever could be wrong, he played Le Duc marvelously, did he not? How should we know? We're just the fat ladies. Pierre descended as easily as he had climbed, and soon landed with a thud on the forest floor. Say, young Jean, what had you so spooked up there? I, I, I cannot come down. You can't? Why not? Too high. Oh, I see. Are you imagining the bridge from your past? What? You see, friends, as a youth, young Jean used to frequent a very high bridge, about as high as a tree or a top, or somewhat shorter, young Jean? Stop it. About as high, then. Anyway, his mummy told him not to play on this bridge, but wouldn't you know, the little fool didn't listen. And one day he slipped and fell from the great height, breaking his back, causing his deformity. Please stop, Henri. But wait, it gets better. He resented his mummy, and even worse, his baby sister, to whom mummy now gave all her attention. I beg of you. So, when he was well enough, he collected his little sister. No. And threw her from the very same bridge. <gasps> threw, right, Jean? Not dropped? Like she was nothing at all. Disgusting. Despicable. Uh, you, you're all so holy now, then. Arsonists and masturbators. We would never burn a child. Never. And those are accusations only? And who are you to judge me? So that seems to be why young creepy Jean is stuck up this tree. He must be racked with guilt or paralyzed with fear. Or maybe both. You son of a dog. What's that? I couldn't hear you from way down here. You are a son of a dog and a buffoon. Pardon-moi, Adeline. And with that, young Jean... The hunchback jester threw himself from the treetop. His twisted form fell without sound before bouncing off the hard-packed earth with a terrible crunch. So, who's the buffoon now? Will the duke heed his wife's warning? Will the clowns recover from the violent death of yet another troopmate? Will I be able to watch all 222 episodes of Phineas and Ferb so I can relate to today's youth? Find out next time on The Buffoon. The Buffoon is brought to you by happiness. Let's all pretend it exists and just keep buying stuff, okay? Okay. Wasn't that a fine episode of The Buffoon, Maddie? I didn't get it. No. No, of course not. Bless your little heart. You know, if you'd like, I can, um... I can explain it to you. That's okay. I don't really care anyway. No? Well, perhaps you'd uh, you'd like a little extra help with your homework then, huh? Really? Sure. I do have this, like, really big paper due. Actually, it's past due. Mr. Berkowitz said I could have an extension. Mm. I just bet he did. What's the subject of the paper? God, it's so dumb. It's supposed to be about the unreliable narrator and Lolita. I have to write, like, ten pages. Are you serious? Are you serious? Are you even effing serious right now? Maddie? Maddie? I did my thesis on the unreliable narrator in Lolita, my final year at the world-famous narration conservatory in Milan. Really? Yes. What's a thesis? Oh, hmm. Oh, you sweet, poor, stupid thing. Listen, let me help you. I'm saying I wrote a paper on the same subject. Really? That's awesome. Will you share it with me? Yes, absolutely. Yes, I will. That, and a great many other things. Oh, I just meant, like, on Google Drive. 
Oh, well, I only have a hard copy of it. I'll tell you what. I'll bring it over. When's a good time for, huh? Tonight? Yeah? Tonight? Over my dead announcer's dick! When did you get in here? I heard the whole thing. Madison, go to my car. Now! Now, I said! Now you listen to me. You and I haven't always seen eye to eye in the past. There's the understatement of the f***ing century. But this is too much. Too damn much. Okay? You need to back off. Oh, yeah? Yeah? Hmm? Why should I? Because I'm a dangerously unhinged man who can't afford his medication and has absolutely nothing to lose. It's a compelling argument. Just watch your ass, motherfucker. Okay? Watch. Your. Ass. Now, if you'll excuse me, it's Sunday night and I have somewhere to be. You can't intimidate me, announcer, you son of a bitch. You can't intimidate me, you son of a bitch. Love finds a way, announcer. Love always finds a way. Rude Alchemy is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. The Buffoon Story by Rude Alchemy with Mr. Wertner as lead story editor. This episode written and edited by Mr. Kane. Featuring the voices of Rude Alchemy. Music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. For a listing of Creative Commons sound effects attributions, visit RudeAlchemy.com slash attributions. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes to support Rude Alchemy and gain access to exclusive bonus content including blooper reels from every season. Visit RudeAlchemy.com slash support. And finally, I must apologize for my hushed tone. After dropping Maddie off, I circled the block and returned to my sister's home. I've broken into the rec room and hidden under the cover of the pool table. Now, all I've got to do is stay perfectly still for 23 hours until Denise shows up for book club. And then... Shh, shh, shh. Wait. Someone's coming. Come in this way. My mom has a headache, so she won't be down until the morning. Awesome. Yeah, my mom's headaches are lit. Come here. Oh, God. What? I told you not to touch my leg. I pulled my quad in practice. That's why I'm on crutches. I'm sorry, Jackson. It's all right. Oh, no, I don't want to hear this. Hey. Hey, Maddie. Are you in there? It's me, the narrator. What's he doing here? I I hope you don't mind. I dropped that paper we talked about. I thought we could have a quick study set, you know? Really hit the bees. By bees, I mean books. (laughs) You know, I've been studying millennial behavior, and apparently abbreviating things is really big. Really big. Are you in there? Maddie? Maddie? Hey, what's up? Oh my god. <laughs> there are a number of everyday precautions that we can all take that may help to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. The first is to make sure to clean your hands often. Now, washing your hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds is the best, but if you don't have that, try to use a hand sanitizer that has at least 60% alcohol. And to the extent possible, avoid touching high-touch surfaces in public places. These are things like elevator buttons, door handles, handrails, or of course handshaking with people. Wash your hands after touching surfaces in public places. Avoid touching your face, your nose, and your eyes. 
and clean and disinfect your home to remove germs. Practicing routine cleaning of frequently touched surfaces like tables, doorknobs, light switch handles will make a difference. Avoid crowds, especially in poorly ventilated spaces. All these small things that we can do may help to slow down the spread of the coronavirus. For more information, go to cdc.gov and be well, everyone.